Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Miami Miked Up. I am pleased to be joined by the color commentator for the Miami Heat, John Crotty, as we recap this Miami Heat season. John, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me today. Jeremy, thanks for having me, man. It was, it was an amazing season. Yeah, it absolutely was. We'll get into it uh, here in just a second. Before, before we do that, same question as the last time I had you on to start. Now there's been a few days off from this season. What is something outside of work that has recently brought you joy? Uh, let's see. I, I've been getting back out to the golf course a little bit. Also reintroduced myself to my boat. So looking forward to doing hey. a little bit of that in the off season. Oh, that's great. Golfing and boating. You're you're living the life down here of uh, of how to Golf do it in the life. season. That's yeah. it. Yeah, John Crotty, <laughs> living it up. Uh, well, as you said, um, heck of a season from the Miami Heat. Hate that we're having to have this conversation now as opposed to a couple of weeks from now. Um, and as Eric Spolstra said, it ends in a thud. I mean, that's really like how, how this one came to an end um, to sort of catch folks up, obviously, after a miraculous game six win where it felt like the team was sort of being held together by duct tape uh, with all the injuries that were going on. 47 points from Jimmy Butler in Boston, got the heat back down here for a game seven, a game in which it almost never even really felt like the heat were in it, just sort of hanging around thanks to Butler and, and 25 and 11 from Bam Adebayo that shouldn't go unnoticed. But this team just wouldn't die. And that was kind of the calling card all year long. Jimmy had a chance there at the end with 18 seconds left and a three point shot to win it. Unfortunately, didn't come up with the big shot there in that moment, but got them there. Um, and the heat come up just short. So, your overall thoughts on the series with Boston and, and what it was within the margins that allowed Boston to come away with the victory in that series in seven. Well, specifically to the Boston series, what a strange series. I mean, just the ebbs and flows of crazy, you know, a couple big quarters like mixed into games that would just put the game out of reach for either team, yeah. uh, both teams winning on the opposing team's court, which, uh, you know, just doesn't happen as regularly in the playoffs where home court tends to, to, to trump everything. And, um, I thought that was really strange and interesting. You, you know, you, you just didn't know what you were going to see every night, um, you know, between these two teams. It was just such a, uh, you know, dynamic uh, series that way. Um, but you also saw two really physical defensive teams going at it. Um, and I, I think, you know, that was to me the overriding theme. And, that, and when one uh, team was able to kind of crack the code for a short period of time. They would go on that run, and that's and then honestly, both teams would hunker down again. So I think that was you know what we saw. Uh -huh. um, you know what what a what a comeback that game six win in Boston. Jimmy Butler was amazing. I don't think anybody thought the team was going to win that game. Not um, at all. Most I would tell you, you know, I, I would venture to say every other team in the league in that situation would lose. But the, the habits that Miami built throughout the course of the regular season, the mental toughness, the, the physicality, the um, next man up, you know, mentality with different, you know, potential people out or not, not 100 percent, you know, just pervaded in that game. Find a way to win. And, and they rode Jimmy and, and Jimmy got him to that game seven. And then I, I like what you said, because I felt the same way. I mean, game seven, it started so poorly. Yeah. and uh, for Miami and then just couldn't get into the flow. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, we're, we're hanging around, hanging right. around and, and have a chance, you know, to win that game again, being incredibly banged up and various injuries. And, you know, our team never makes excuses, which you got to love, yeah. um, but frustrating and um, 
but uh, you know, my 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 feelings, and I know we'll get into it for this team. Uh-huh. Me, it was it was truly one of my favorite teams, and I think um, you know I'll share with you why. But I think this series against Boston, you know, is is a little bit of a microcosm, you know, of of why. Yeah, we will we will get into that in in just a moment. I do want two quick thoughts still on that Boston series real sure. quick before we move on. Um, the look on the Jimmy Butler three. I imagine you and I are are sort of on the same page here in regards to that shot. Uh, it's been this <laughs> widely contested debate as to, to should Jimmy have dri- driven to the basket? Should he sort of have slowed things down because there was you know no shot clock left in transition? A three point attempt for the win. Uh, your view on Jimmy Butler taking that shot again? I imagine it's it's probably pretty similar to how I feel. Well, look, it's it's a bang bang play. Is, is how I would I would categorize it. Until you know, unless you're out there and and it's a second decision you have yep. to make, and he got a really good look. Yep. Um. So you can't fault uh, that. I just you know from from my perspective, you know, I see Al Horford who's slower afoot, um, kind of out away from the basket. Jimmy, if you know, so good with that right-hand drive. If he can hit him with a hesitation, get him to stand up like he's going to take a jumper yep. and then just go by him and get to the rim and be able to hold off. We've seen him absorb contact, get in ones, um, or, you know, score or draw foul and get to the free throw line. But, again, it, it's easy for me to say in the comfort of my chair, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, having been in a, in a similar position as a former player, right. everything's happening so fast. You're trying to read – um, you know, the, the clock, um, the moment, the matchup, you know, where other guys are on the floor and to get it, to get an open shot in that scenario. And, and, you know, particularly from the guy who got you there, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta give him, um, the creativity and the freedom, you know, to make the decision. But, you know, to me, the, the higher percentage play would have been for him to go all the way to the rim. Right. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's clear what theoretically like the right move, quote unquote, would have been. Right. But it's one of those where and, and we've heard Spolstra, you know, talk about this a million times of, you know, ride or die with his guys. And Jimmy Butler made that like exact shot in the first half, pulling up from three, somehow miraculously was this unbelievable three point shooter during the postseason because that's who he is elevating his game. And in that moment, number one, watching it all happen was like the fastest play I've ever seen and also all happened in slow motion because that was uh-huh. it to end the year, you know, and it was just uh, a pre- pretty unbelievable moment. Um, one more one more question here on that Boston series and something that I think was sort of overlooked because both teams were dealing with a bunch of injuries, but one team had a key player who actually wasn't on the floor, and that was Miami and Tyler Hero. Um, sure. And with the way that Boston defended Miami, I looked at games like five and six, and I, I said, man, having Tyler Hero out there would be su- – at least a healthy Tyler Hero would have been such a benefit. Oh, you know, yeah. a- 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 dealing with those injuries, knowing that's the case, how much do you think not having Tyler Hero on the floor ultimately affected the final results here of this series? Well, I think, look, I think it's huge. I mean, I think what he didn't play in the last three games. Um, he, you know, he's a guy who's obviously incredibly uh, ignitable um, all year long. He was, he was, you know, he and Jimmy were the top two scorers for Miami. So you're talking about a guy who's dropping 20 points and, and, and that production obviously goes down in the playoffs when he doesn't play as much, but mm-hmm. he's still a guy who can create his own shot and he can create 
um, shots for others. And he draws more defensive attention, which frees up other people. And I think that's the overall theme that I would say when you have, when you lose a guy like that, a guy uh, who's so capable um, and, and being able to create your own shot against a defense like Boston puts out there where they're loading uh, meaning helping to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the primary scorers like a Jimmy Butler, um, you know, it, it makes it, it just gives you another dimension to your offense. So that was, that was a weapon that I think Miami sorely missed. Yeah. I think uh, without him, it was, it was asking just a bit too much of some of those other guards, whether that be Victor Oladipo, Gabe Vincent, you know, even Kyle Lowry, like just a bit too much out of those guys that, you know, again, it, the season ends with, you know, a four point difference from going to the NBA finals or, or, you know, going home before you want to, uh, let, let's talk about Jimmy Butler, uh, via Anthony Chang from the Miami Herald. Butler is one of five players ever to average 27 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, and shoot over 50% from the floor in a playoff run, joining Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, and the miracle Kawhi Leonard run with the Toronto Raptors. Four games of 40 points or more, and he does not get them the easy way, those 40 points. What is there even left to say about playoff Jimmy Butler after year three in a Heat uniform? Well, I love the quote-unquote playoff Jimmy because I think he really ramps his game up in the playoffs when most guys, it goes the opposite way, you know, who play well in the, in the, in the regular season and, you know, where the defenses aren't quite as focused, there isn't the ability to scheme, right, because – you know, maybe there's a day between games, the team's throwing uh, together a game plan very quickly, whereas in a playoff series, everybody knows what the other team's doing, basically, particularly when you get to a game seven. And, um, you know, you have to will your way into into um, having, you know, opportunities to be able to play at your best. And, and they know what your tendencies are. And to still be able to get to them, it's crazy. And that's what he did. And he um, plays hard on both ends of the floor. It's got an edge to him, which I think really brings everybody else up. Um, the thing that that's the, the couple things that have really surprised me about him is, you know, hearing about his reputation before he came to Miami. I, I'm really impressed with how um, he he breathes confidence into the younger players. Um, I think he's he really is amazing that way, and that matters. I mean, that really really matters when you're a young player and you have a guy who's a an All NBA caliber player you know, telling you, shoot the ball, man. You're a great shooter. Come on, you know, make that play. I, you, we can depend on you to do that. That really, really matters. And uh, he's done, he did that. He did that throughout the course of the season, uh, as well as the playoffs. He's, he was consistent that way. Um, I also think, you know, I love his accountability and from a leadership perspective too. Hey, you know, I need to play better. I need to get these guys involved and, you know, willing to kind of take that that, um, you know, responsibility of addressing the media and maybe shouldering some of the pressure uh, that, um, you know, the whole team would feel. And he's, he, he's willing to do that. And I think that helps maybe, you know, take some of the other guys off the hook so that they can perform at a higher level. And, um, you know, those two things, you know, really jump out at me with Jimmy on top of the obvious, you know, production that's, that's insane. It's crazy that he was able to do what he did considering exactly what you just said, which is, there's no reason why everyone knew exactly what Jimmy does, right? Like right. Jimmy is one of those players that we all know what his offensive game is. And the fact that these teams were constantly scheming for him and even going back to the Philadelphia series, going right after Joel Embiid, who was a remarkable defender saying, all right, if we got to do this one-on-one, that's how we'll do it. And, and you know, when you talk about breathing confidence into players, I think about the stories that we've heard from Max Struess all year long of 
them playing one-on-one last year and how that was, you know, earning Jimmy's respect. But Jimmy, like you said, putting confidence into him of, look, man, you're good. You can do this. You can defend me. You can defend anybody. Also, you can shoot at this level. It really just shows what the type of player that he is and the the type of cornerstone player that he is. And, man, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. My brother actually pointed this one out to me where – you know, the Heat have the potential here of now for three straight seasons losing to the eventual champion, right? They lost to the Lakers in the finals in 2020. They lost to the Bucks last year. And if the Celtics pull it off, this will be three straight years. Well, Jimmy Butler the year before lost to the Toronto Raptors with the Sixers. It would be four straight seasons of Jimmy Butler losing in the playoffs oh. to the eventual champion, which just shows, man, running up against some rough matchups for a guy who has been sure. stellar in the postseason. But yeah. let's talk about this season sort of from an overall standpoint. Obviously, like you said, it was very special. A one seed, elevation of games from the two young guys of the core and Tyler and Bam, the emergence of Struess and Gabe Vincent and, and Caleb Martin. Um, obviously watching Lowry and Tucker in a Heat uniform for the first time. Tucker, who I'm still convinced was made in some sort of Heat culture lab somewhere out in you know the middle of nowhere. Uh, I've heard your partner, Eric Reed call it one of his favorite seasons ever. You just said it's one of your favorite seasons ever. So many individual and collective performances to be proud of. Now that it's all over, what's the feeling you're left with when thinking about this Heat team? Well, to me, <clears throat> the reason why it was one of my favorite teams is just the, the unselfish um pure chemistry of being a team uh this team genuinely cared about each other they genuinely pulled for each other um we saw incredible stories throughout the course of the season of different players having to step in for guys who due to either injury or health and safety protocols were out uh, and have great success right i mean it, it was like the next man up philosophy the we have enough uh phrase that we hear from spo all the time was true uh and that's because of uh, the development of the young players, uh, guys emerging um, into roles and, and believing themselves, putting the work in. And um, you have to give them so much credit for that. But also, as I referenced with Jimmy, you know, sort of the older players, I think, endearing the younger guys to be the best they can be and to uh, continue to push them and themselves, um, you know, to be to be better. And so each, you know, each part of the season, we saw different players step up, whether it was, you know, Max Struess or Gabe Vincent, who was who was outstanding, or Caleb Martin, who was a two-way player this early this season, right? Uh, we saw Omer Yurtsevin, the rookie, yeah. uh, you know, have a nice run when Bam was out with um, the um, thumb injury. So uh, it, it was an amazing season. We saw the, the heat development program on, on full display, too, of guys who, you know, even over the course of one summer, I mean, you know, three months of working with the heat, can elevate their game to a, a rotational player um, level status. I mean, there's there's just no other team in the league that that develops players and is got to be attractive to someone to me who's you know falling through the cracks or um, you know has has a skill that hasn't yet been able to maximize it. Um, you know, and we see again Coach Spolster being able to foster this culture of um, you know everyone buying in incredible unselfishness with the way the ball moves and, you know, having played on, you know, seven teams over 11 years um, it's, it's not normal to see everybody buy in that easily that, that on the very best teams, that's what happens. Um, And the heat have that, you know, they really do. They really 
um, are about winning. And, and we see guys making winning plays, not always the plays that are, um, you know, the, the best in terms of scoring the basketball or rebounding, what have you. It's just about whatever it takes to win. And I think this team embodied that. Um, I think we saw all throughout the course of the season and, and, and you know, almost made it uh, to the NBA Finals again. It's really unbelievable that this team was almost back there once again. It would have been two out of three years. And the fact that they even got to the Eastern Conference Finals, given all those hurdles all season yeah. long. I mean, you know, when you mention everything that you do, it it actually just jogged the memory of, um, obviously, I, I spoke to all these guys for Miami mic'd up right before the season. Um, you know, like a week, a week out from when regular season basketball was happening. And a comment from Caleb Martin stood out to me in that, what he said at the time, and, and at the time he was the quote-unquote 17th guy on the roster, right. you know, as the two-way player. But what he mentioned to me was, he's like, I look, I've never been on a championship team, but this feels like what a championship team is supposed to feel like, and that I'm out here and I can tell that the guys at the top of the roster are not going to take any days off. He's like, I've played in the NBA. There's mm -hmm. some nights in some random regular season games where, you know, guys coast, they go through the motions, it is what it is. He's like, these guys are diving for loose balls in practice. Like, this is, he's like, I've never seen anything like this. And if they're going to have that energy at the top of the roster, I'm certainly going to have it as the 17th man. And that really right there exemplified everything that the Heat were this season. You know, Omer Yurtsevin coming in and having 10 straight double-doubles or whatever it was, stepping up and, and being a part of it. So this was a really special group from top to bottom. And obviously now... You know, some tweaks will be made to the roster. Even teams that win championships have tweaks here and there. But the big question that's happened sort of amongst fans on Twitter and even in media immediately becomes about, you know, quote unquote, star chasing for guys like Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal via trade. And I guess my question to you would be, are you of the belief that the Heat should take those types of swings this offseason? Or do you believe more, hey, let's run it back with the good chunk of this core and maybe make some more minor changes? Yeah, I mean, I think that traditionally when you look at um, the Heat decision-making from, you know, Pat Riley and, and and management team, you know, they try to keep the core together if they've been successful. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I could see that being, you know, probably more likely um, and then just try to try to, you know, add different key pieces uh, yeah. that they could along the way, um, you know, to, to plug holes and, and fill gaps. But, you know, look, if there's a situation where they see an opportunity and they can go for talent at a high level that would, uh, you know, accentuate and, and be um, accretive to value, I think they would do it, too. I mean, that's yeah. that's what you've got to love. I mean, look, this the combination of, of Miami's ownership with the Arison family, the leadership from a management position with with um, Pat Riley and Andy Ellsberg and then and then Eric Spolstra and the coaching staff, it, it's a very unique, special um, you know, trio, if you will. And, and I think that's why you see the stability and the, and the continued success, um, you know, from the franchise. That's, it's very rare that a team has all those three elements in place with, without one, you know, kind of falling to the wayside or lacking in some way um, that creates inconsistency and, and, you know, a team that ultimately um, cannot continue to be successful and, and maintain a high level. And not only that, but you you can trust development, right? So you can right. know that some of those holes that need to be filled, well, maybe they'll just be filled by guys developing and, and, and having more complete games going into next right. year. Seeing the yeah. elevation of what some of these guys did 
like you mentioned, in three months last summer, imagine what some of them can do headed into the next season. Yeah, so, I mean, like as opposed to some of these teams who are just constantly trading off all their assets and then all. going for picks, right? And it's like, you know, to me, that's just fantasy land, right? Yep. I mean, you're you're depending on a, you know, a 19-year-old, 18, 19, 20-year-old young man to try to transform your your franchise, you know, and that's crazy, right? The way I mean, some of these teams are trading now, they're essentially yeah. depending on kids who are currently 12 years old, you know, Amazing. like thinking about Amazing. all those picks down the line. I mean, we look at like Oklahoma City specifically, I think of right now, who's got like 35 picks in the span of the next six or seven years. Um well, let, let's touch on on a couple last things before we wrap up here. Um, I was covering the Marlins last night, so I didn't get to watch, but Celtics took game one of the NBA Finals with a flurry of threes and one of those stellar Al Horford games. Any thoughts on how that series shakes out, even just on, on the brief level? Well, just very quickly on that, I think it's a, it's a great battle of tremendous defense. Both teams play good defense, yeah. but Boston in particular to me and their defense is what I'm tracking versus the Golden State offense. And, um, you know, Boston looked choppy. They, they, they came out poorly in that third quarter and looked comfortable for a Golden State. But, you know, Boston has the ability to slow you down and, and make you play ugly and then, and then also be incredibly uh, streaky shooting the basketball. So right. um, that was an amazing fourth quarter. And, wow, all of a sudden the pressure big time on Golden State. It's really amazing. It's it's I did no I don't think anybody expected that fourth quarter to happen. But just like the rest of this postseason, there have been some truly strange quarters of basketball, and Boston's been involved in a whole bunch of them. Uh, all right, final thing here: if you could leave Heat fans, Heat Nation, with one message headed into this offseason, what would it be? I would I would say, look, the Heat um, as a team is in an incredible position. You have a great core group of of, of players um you know that are battle tested and talented and um you know want to improve and get better you have a younger group of guys who are hungry and um, really took big steps this year um you have a great leadership who's going to make decisions here in the offseason to try to improve the team you know i think the team's in, in phenomenal shape yep. and um i get a chance to go out to the summer league and and, and watch those games and um see some of the younger players but also see some of the new players coming in, uh, which is always interesting. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll get to see some of these younger players again and, and how they develop and how Miami continues to grow and, and, and get better from within. So I'm excited about that. That's the next step in about 35 days or so, crazy or not. That's how soon the summer league comes. But um, the NBA is a true <laughs> full year program now. And, um, you know, Miami continues to be uh, in, in incredibly successful um, developing uh, teams and, and being a championship type culture. Well, maybe we will uh, check in with you then from the summer league, but John Crotty, enjoy your 35 days off. Enjoy your <laughs> golfing. Enjoy your, your boating. Uh, and thank you. It's, it's well, well-deserved after a really great season. Thank you for joining me here on Miami mic up today. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Bally sports, Florida's Miami mic up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.